Good morning. It's Thursday, February 7th, 2013, and Audible presents the New York Times Audio Digest. Here's what's making news on the front page today. U.S. ratchets up economic war on Iran. Congress to get classified memo on drone strike, and Pakistani militant price on his head lives in the open. In this morning's national headlines, two-tax rise tests the wealthy in California. Psychiatric hospitals move to ban patient smoking, and scouts delay decision on lifting their ban on gays. In today's business headlines, Royal Bank of Scotland settles rigging case. Emails show flaws in J.P. Morgan mortgage securities. And the FAA agrees to allow crew-only flight of a Boeing 787. There will be more business stories, more national and world news, a roundup from the sports page, and New York Times columnist Gail Collins. Now, as selected by the editors of the New York Times, here are the stories on today's front page. The top story is written from Tehran by Tom Erdbrink and David Sanger. U.S. ratchets up economic war on Iran. All over this city of 12 million people, high-rises are under construction, local engineers and Chinese contractors are rushing to finish a multi-level highway, and the streets are lined with billboards promoting the latest tablets and washing machines made by South Korean companies like Samsung and LG. Supermarkets are fully stocked, and it seems like new restaurant and fast food joints are opening up every day and never lacking for customers. In short, you wouldn't know that oil exports from Iran have dropped by a million barrels a day and that the free fall in the currency has triggered huge inflation, a result of American and European-led sanctions as well as economic mismanagement by the Iranian government. The West escalated the economic war another notch on Wednesday, imposing a new set of restrictions intended to force Iran into what amounts to a form of barter trade for oil because payments for oil deliveries can no longer be sent to accounts inside Iran. A senior Obama administration official called the latest step a significant turning of the screw, repeating the administration's four-year-long argument that the mullahs here face a stark choice between holding on to their nuclear program and reviving their oil revenue, the country's economic lifeblood. But there's little confidence among American officials in Washington and a little evidence on the streets of Tehran that even newly stringent sanctions have much chance of forcing Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, into striking a deal that most Americans and Europeans, and even some Israelis, say could defuse the crisis. The sanctions, while the source of constant complaint and morbid jokes, have not triggered price riots or serious opposition to the Iranian government. In fact, the past year hasn't been all that bad, as Saeed Ranchian, a 39-year-old shopkeeper peddling perfumes in Tehran's Grand Bazaar, said the other day while he was sipping tea, and as droves of shoppers strolled by on newly paved sidewalks. Surrounded by colognes with elaborate foreign names like Le Chevalier Primero, Ranchian admitted that with prices doubling and Iran's currency crashing, you would expect people to buy less. But in Iran, when prices go up, people start buying more, fearing even higher prices, he said, adding with a laugh that the country's economy has rules that no one understands. Obama administration officials were disturbed by a new analysis, prepared for the president and his staff, that paints a picture of the supreme leader as so walled off from what's happening with his country's oil revenues that he's telling visitors that the sanctions are hurting the United States more than they're hurting Iran. 
The people may be suffering in Iran, one senior official involved in Iran's strategy said last week, but the supreme leader isn't, and he's the only one who counts.